Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Thursday, May 12th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Today, D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti gave a detailed timeline of the Van S. sniper shooting and what they know about who the shooter was. When I say that so many more people could have been injured or killed by this gunman, that is real. And nursing is difficult to start with. The pandemic has only made it harder. As nurses rally on the National Mall for improved working conditions, we speak with a local nurse in Fairfax about the heightened challenges and risk she faces every day. When you're understaffed, mistakes get made, things get missed. And then who are they going to come after? Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Three weeks ago, Raymond Spencer opened fire from a window of his apartment in Van Ness, taking aim at the students inside the Edmund Burke School. Four people were hurt, and Spencer killed himself as police closed in. Today, we are learning more about what happened on that day from police. So D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti essentially laid out a timeline for what actually happened during the shooting. And he said it started at 318. They got 33 911 calls. An off-duty police officer at the time was the first one to report it. And this thing plays out very quickly, right? Because right away you have at least four victims. You might have more. And the response was nearly immediate. Yeah. He filled in a lot of gaps here in this press conference. And what he really told us was that it was so fast and that, you know, people from the community actually helped in pointing out the very place where Raymond Spencer was set up. And that that let them set up a perimeter that kind of saved some lives because he said that police officers obviously rushed to the scene. But if you rush to a scene with someone who has that many guns, it could have gone a lot differently. When I say that so many more people could have been injured or killed by this gunman in the reckless behavior that was displayed here, I mean, that is not an understatement and it's not being dramatic. That is real. As for how they found Spencer, they said that a lot of it came down to those posts he was making online. Apparently, the post started at 336. And look, he was making these posts on a site. 4chan. So 4chan is a site that is insanely dedicated to free speech and being anonymous, basically. And so it has been a frequent spot for shooters to post their information about their shootings as they're happening. And this is what happened here. I remember I was in the newsroom and I saw someone kind of tweet a video of his literal sniper scope. Yeah. And I reached out to this person on Twitter and then they gave me the link to the 4chan and he was live chatting this this horrendous thing. And um, apparently police said that they tracked the IP address and that Spencer really made no Mm. attempts to cover up his ID. They immediately found, you know, the apartment building, that he was the leaseholder um, and just sort of peeling back the layers. Then they later found that when they got to the apartment, he had a camera that was pointed down the hallway and a monitor in hand so he could watch police as they were responding, which lines up with some of the posts that we know he made on 4chan saying, like, they're looking in the wrong area. Or he was he was insinuating that he knew where police were and they weren't finding him. And Chief Conti also 
you know, shared photos of this room in the Van Ness apartment, the Ava apartment, and shows that, you know, there's a bed, table, and a lot of guns, a lot of firepower, and that tripod set up. Chief Conte also gives searing details of that video he posted from the sniper footage, and it shows that he was tracking students. His firearm from the scope, it was trained on those young people as they ran across the footbridge. It was about three of them, I think. But he's like following along as they start to run when the shots were fired. So, you know, I don't think that we cannot say that at this point that it was not a school shooting. And some of these photos, we'll have them on WTOP.com. But you'll see there were six fully assembled weapons just lined up on this desk um, apparently at his apartment in Fairfax County, Virginia, they found three weapons that they say were purchased in Virginia. We should talk about the victims here um, who are all have all survived. There was a 12 year old who Chief Conti said was walking across that bridge and really, I mean, was a target of this shooting, um, was grazed and is OK. A 56 year old, the retired police officer who was injured and pulled from the scene nearly immediately when his colleagues got there. Um, he's still in the hospital, but recovering. A 47-year-old woman who was treated and released. She was the one who was sitting in her car outside the Burke School. And a 63-year-old who was treated and released as well. So it seems like everyone is on the mend. And Chief Conti paid special attention to the fact that the second D-Watch commander, you know, made a life and death decision to go in to that danger zone and pull out that 56-year-old man. You know, he spoke to, again, the life and death situation here that people did risk their lives to save people on that day. They picked this officer up and they carried him from the scene where he was shot uh, to uh, the location of a waiting ambulance. Now to the investigation, we heard from Detective Joshua Branson, who said, surprisingly, they don't have Raymond Spencer's cell phone yet. They have never found it. They've gotten access to his Call records, Conti said they know the last thing he ate because of they have some of his right. financial records, but not all of them. He was in severe credit card debt, had a number of credit cards with $10,000, $8,000 balances that they've tried to, like, you know, find his social circle and haven't found much. This individual, at least for the last year or so and prior to that, uh, really, really defines a loner in my view. I mean, they said he dropped off the map. I think they even used the phrase he went off the grid about a year ago and lost contact with family and friends. And it's making this investigation, you know, troublesome and difficult to follow. They also pointed to the fact that they had security cam footage of him leaving his Fairfax apartment and going to his D.C. Ava apartment with a suitcase full of guns. The last question I think is like the most obvious that everyone has is why did he do this? And police just simply said, we don't know. When I have to look a parent in the face, you know, try to answer the question for them, like, Chief, you know, is it safe to send my kid uh, back to school? Uh, do we know why? And I wish I could tell them I, I knew exactly why, but I, I, I honestly, I just, I don't know that answer yet. I mean, as far as we can tell, they haven't found any kind of manifesto or statement. And Conti said, you know, I, I know he was manipulating the Wikipedia page of the Edmund Burke School during the shooting. I know that he clearly had planned for this with all of the guns that he'd amassed. And he even shared a detail like he had a pillow in the bathtub where he was he ended up taking his life. But Conti suggested that perhaps he was planning on spending a long time there because D.C. police had set up snipers to try and look for the who the shooter was. And, you know, if they had identified him, they Conti said he was going to give the word to to kill the shooter. So I think given the details we know so far, he didn't leave much of a footprint. No, but, you know, he really did, as you said, Megan, prepare for this. There was so much preparation, which implies some intent, which, again, begs the big question of why. And we just still don't 
know yet. And I think we'll be waiting on those money records to see if that gives some sort of trail to that question. After the break, nurses have had one of the toughest jobs bar none during this pandemic. A nurse in Fairfax County candidly shares her experience as her colleagues rally on the mall for better working conditions. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download Podcast. Megan and I do this show all on our own, and we appreciate you making us a part of your day. If you like the show or have a suggestion, let us know by leaving a review or rating the show. Both of those things help us get better and help us grow our audience. Thanks again. A thousand, if not thousands, of nurses rallied throughout the streets of downtown Washington today on this, the 202nd anniversary of nursing becoming a profession. Their goal is not to celebrate themselves, but to honor the lives of those lost while caring for others during the pandemic and to demand better working conditions. Joining us now is a nurse at Fairfax Hospital who has been on the front lines for more than two years. She joins us on Zoom, and we should say she prefers we don't use her name so we can really talk candidly about how it's been to be a nurse for the last two years, two and a half years. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. Tell us about your job, if you can, to describe what it has been like to be a nurse during this pandemic. Yeah, so I work in a intensive care unit, and it's definitely not been a great two and a half years. Um, the beginning was pretty scary from like a PPE perspective, yeah. um, where that was really lacking. I think the scariest part kind of about all of it is that it was, you know, like nurses were panicking everywhere, like myself included. Um, and when we would panic and like bring those concerns to like managerial staff, their response was kind of like, well, like this just is the situation. So like everybody needs to learn to be comfortable with it. Um, and that has kind of been the tone. Mm. Has it um, changed at all in the last two years? I no, mean, really? No. Does that surprise um, you? No, you know, when you really boil it all down, unfortunately, like as passionate as a lot of nurses and physicians are about the jobs that they have, hospitals at the end of the day are businesses um, and, you know, they operate with a bottom line. And I think that it's really easy when you're not the one who is taking care of these patients to say that it's okay. Just like relax. It's fine. This mm. is what the situation is. It's no big deal. But like you're taking home 10 million a year and you're working from home and like drinking a cappuccino in the morning. And like, I'm taking care of a coughing person who has COVID and is about to be intubated. And we don't have enough masks. Like we were using N95s for shifts. When you're supposed to be changing them every certain number yeah, of hours if you're exposed. Yeah. Um, tell me about, have you gotten COVID or have your colleagues gotten COVID? Yes. The biggest thing is like that we don't get time off for it. So 
we accrue a, anywhere between like six to eight hours per pay period. So like per two weeks. Um, but for us, like one day of work is 12 hours. Mm. So you basically accrue one shift a month. So that's like 12 shifts in a year, but then we have to use that for like any other sick time vacation. Um, if we have a family emergency and also like, this is never talked about, but like sometimes if the census and your unit is low, you can be put on call or get canceled and being an hourly paid employee, if you don't work, you don't get paid. It just puts us in a situation where like, I had to make a decision that I wasn't okay with either way, which was like me going to work and potentially getting somebody else sick because I want to take my vacation in June because I'm burnt out. You know, and it really sounds like, you know, these problems have, you know, started two and a half years ago, but they're still here today. And I think, you know, right now there's a sense, oh, the pandemic's kind of like easing. But would you say that these issues and these problems are still pretty current and still pretty now? Yeah, they're very current. Nobody is happy. OK, so like many frontline professions, staffing has been a major concern when it comes to nursing um, and you know, obviously that trickles down and affects the quality of care that some people get when they go to the hospital. What has it been like working consistently without, you know, as much staffing as ideally the hospital would want? And what does that mean for patients? Um, it's pretty scary. Um, I think especially like in light of all that happened with the nurse at Vanderbilt, nurses are very quickly becoming like more and more culpable, you know, like we're just this like really easy scapegoat to blame everything on. So that kind of like goes hand in hand with the fear of being understaffed because when you're understaffed, mistakes get made, things get missed. And then who are they going to come after when a mistake is made? So like, you don't feel you know. protected. You don't feel like the hospital has your back. No, there's nothing more discouraging when you're looking at staffing at like 9 p.m. because I work at night and I'm realizing I'm like, OK, well, if, if nothing changes and we don't get any more patients overnight, we're down like four nurses. And then it's like you text your boss being like, hey, just a heads up, you know, like, you know, we're down four nurses tomorrow. And the response that you get is I'm aware. Mm. And. Can you talk a little bit about just like the mental strain? I think we've talked about the physical danger that, you know, this work environment kind of brings to nurses and you. Um, but what about the mental strain? I mean, it must be really difficult to square all that you're seeing every day and then also, you know, maybe the lack of support. The unfortunate part about it is like being a nurse is mentally difficult with or without a pandemic. Like the things that I see at work are like extraterrestrial. They're terrible. But I had such bad anxiety about going to work when COVID first started. It was like, I would feel nauseous when I would like pull into the, pull into the parking garage because it was just such an unknown. It's like, okay, well, are we going to have enough masks today? Or like, are they going to tell us that we should have brought our bandanas? Like, you don't know who you're going to take care of or, you know, and, and at the early stages of COVID, it was like, we treated pretty much everybody as if they had it. And so it was kind of that like scary, like, oh, like, you know, you think it's fine because this patient isn't symptomatic and you kind of let your guard down a little bit. And then 24 hours later, they test positive and you just kind of live in this like limbo of 
Um, I yeah. was going to ask you another reason for the rally on the mall um, is that, you know, nurses want better working conditions. And I think there's been an, ev- an evolution of what that means. So in the very beginning of the pandemic, it was more PPE. Now it might be more about that time off um, that you were mentioning. But what would you like to see change that you think would translate really across the region, not so specifically at your hospital? I think that our rates should be higher. You know, there's the huge discussion about travel nursing, right? Where it's like, everybody wants to leave the bedside to go make, you know, $150 an hour someplace else. And sometimes that can just be across the river. You know, it's like, I had a girlfriend who left and went and worked in DC and was making like quadruple what she was making at my hospital. Um, and you know, paid off her student loans and, you know, it's really, it's life-changing money, but it does kind of beg the question, you know, the people who stick with you and like stay with you for years, like there's no reward. Like they try and act like the reward is, oh, wow. Like once you've been there for 10 years, you accrue eight hours of PTO, a pay period and not six. Like that's not incentive to stay. Like, so you're telling me that people who have been nurses for 15, 20 years, when there's already a movement to leave the bedside and become a nurse practitioner or a CRNA and all of the higher paying advanced practice jobs that exist that like that nurse shouldn't be, I mean, it's really kind of chilling when you think about like, here I am, I'm five years in and like, there's maybe, maybe a five to $6,000 difference in what I make versus somebody who has four times my experience. Like it does not pay to be an experienced nurse. Like it is a great profession to enter as a young professional because you make a lot of money, like as a inexperienced person, as opposed to a lot of other professions out there, Mm -hmm. but you don't get paid to stick around. Their their loyalty isn't rewarded. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's not rewarded. And it kind of contributes to the burnout and like why people want to get out. And so finally, you know, after experiencing all these things of the past two and a half years, has it made you rethink being a nurse? Are you burnt out? Yes. Um, I'm definitely burnt out. I think, and it's very unfortunate because I mean, there are so many parts of nursing that are not ideal that, you know, going in, right. Like, you know, you're going to have to work at night, you know, you're going to have to work holidays and spend time around family. Um, but I think that all of these like systematic issues that exist within hospital systems, is not COVID. They've always been there. We've always been understaffed. There's really not a nursing shortage, but there's a shortage of hospitals paying nurses what they want to get paid, which is why travel nursing exists. And so all of these institutions are kind of using COVID as their scapegoat of like, oh, like things are only bad now because of the pandemic. But like the reality of it is like, it's just a convenient way for them to blame, you know, their antics on this thing that is out of their control. In your mind, is the nursing system broken? Yeah, for sure. It's very broken. And it'll take like, and that's the trouble too, is like, I don't know what the answer is because there is no easy fix. But I mean, everybody should be scared because you, everybody needs a nurse at some point in their life, unfortunately. And you never know when it's going to be. Well, thank you for joining us and just being so honest about your experience. Um, a nurse at Inova Fairfax Hospital um, who's you know been in it for two and a half years plus. So we appreciate what you do. Thank you. And we thank you for your time. Joining us now is Terry Feely, Chief People Officer at Inova Fairfax. And Terry, you know, we just spoke with a nurse 
at Anova, and she feels like Anova doesn't have her back. So my question to you is, you know, is Anova doing enough to support nurses when they've been having such a hard time? I I will tell you that healthcare is, you know, it's in crisis, and I understand how she feels, and I understand how all of our nurses feel. They are tired. They're burnt out. Um, But we believe we are doing as much as we possibly can, and it's really based on the feedback that we get directly from them. We have done a lot over the last few years, not just monetarily, although we have given substantial uh, salary increases over the last couple of years. We've provided our nurses with enhanced shift bonuses because we know how hard it is for them and, and they do sometimes have to work extra hours. Um, and most recently, we've done a lot of really, I think, exciting benefits that we've offered to our team members we have announced a uh, student loan repayment program. Um, We're rolling out now paid parental leave for all of our team members. And again, in terms of helping with their well-being, we are putting uh, in every facility an EAP counselor on site. So those are just a few of the things that we do to support our nurses. Um, Finally, staffing shortages of nurses is not only a problem at Inova or in our region even, it's a nationwide issue. How is this taking a toll on our caregivers and is there relief on the horizon? Well, (laughs) we are doing the best that we can and it is true. There really is a shortage um, and, and everybody is feeling it. We certainly are uh, creating partnerships with all of the local universities there uh, with their nursing schools. We are um, doubling the amount of new nurses we're hiring. We are working with international nursing agencies to bring international nurses here. Um, And then again, we just continue our our very best to recruit all throughout the nation. But it's, it's real and we're dealing with it every day. Terry Feely, Chief People Officer at Innova Fairfax. Terry, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. And before we go, we have to address the black hole. The black hole in the center of our solar system, the Milky Way. This is a pretty cool thing. This broke today, and they actually got a picture of the black hole for the first time ever, right? Because, I mean, you would assume they're pretty difficult to photograph. Yep. Yeah, they are. Yeah, (laughs) actually, I learned about this way back when when I was a physics student in college. I actually got a degree in physics, but here I am as a journalist. Anyway, more on that later. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, black holes, you know, really are some of the most powerful things in the universe. They're so powerful that they can pull in light and matter. And everyone knows light moves fast. They can pull that in. They, like, warp space and time. They're incredible. And it's been really difficult to get a photo of them because they eat light, you know, and you need light for for a photo. You look at this thing and it almost looks like it's glowing. Kind of like a thermal, like photo kind of deal. Yeah. Almost looks like a sun. It does. It does. It's interesting. It's in the Sagittarius part of our sky, which is also an interesting little fact. And, you know, the reason we're able to take photos of it is because there's so much pressure going down into this black hole. It's pulling in stars. It's pulling in all this stuff that this pressure builds up and some of it just ekes out some of this light and some of this matter just boom and you know, so it does what it ekes out and <laughs> uh, that's the sound that's a scientific sound right there folks um and it's it's really cool so go check it out it's on WTOP's website it looks like a thermal donut and you know it's cool it's significant it really tempts you to ask how that start how that black hole get created and we just don't know <laughs> our physics major here is geeking out but when you see the picture you will too 
That'll do it for us today. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download, sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate the show if you get the chance, and follow us on social media where we post content every day. You'll see behind the scenes. It's, it's pretty cool. You can find out more about the show on dmvdownload.com, and you can also become one of our VIP listeners there. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, online at wtop.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, guys. 